Hi there, fans of Fright. It's the Age of Enfrightenment, and we're back in a new year, and we're so excited. It's been far too long. I'm Nick. I'm one of the three points of the Triforce of Terror that hosts this podcast, and I'm so delighted to introduce my co-hosts. First up, we've got Dave. Hey. And, hi. and hi. secondly... You, we, you didn't say hi back. <laughs> That's not what this is for. All this right, is... we're starting it again. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three, go. No. Okay, okay. Hold on. I'll start it again. No, Let's don't just... start it again. God Whatever you it. want to intro me would be fine, by the way. <laughs> you ruined my Sorry. whole thing. We also have another host here on AOE, and that's Uncle Teddy. What up? <laughs> Hi, Dave. We, uh... Hey, man. I said we're I back online because, because Uncle Teddy finally Thank brought you. his computer yeah, to Subway it, to, to speak to the Geek Squad there. <laughs> <laughs> he got a really solid antivirus sandwich, and he's consumed the whole thing, and he assures this that it, this like, will fix all the issues he's been having. Yeah, I ate the sandwich. Now my computer don't have no viruses no more. It's 2018. <laughs> it's a new year, but the same age of enfrightenment. We're very excited to bring some new stuff to oh, you. Oh shit, he said it. He said he said the name of the thing. <laughs> he said the he said the name of the show. That's why it's called that. Oh. That's always my favorite moment in the movies when I can elbow the person next to me and be like, "They said the name of the movie." <laughs> and then I and then I get up and leave. He is the Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> it just I my girlfriend and I just saw The Greatest Showman the other day. That's and we're walking out. Oh, yeah, it was. But, like, I wasn't saying anything. He's like, so what'd you think? I'm like, truly, he was the greatest showman. <laughs> I think that that's relevant to bring up on the podcast, though, because you, Theo, walked us through what a monster P.T. Barnum actually was on our, cl- <laughs> yeah. on our clowns episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hugh Jackman, he was not. No, well, he's a dear, sweet man. I don't think oh, they could. I don't think. I mean, he played. Australian. He played the most murderous character in the Marvel universe, and still came across as a very sweet and gentle soul. Yeah, um, one major complaint that I did have with the movie was that Zac Efron does not take his shirt off, not once. That's insane. I'm pretty sure it's, he takes his shirt off in all three High School Musicals. So yeah, what were so they like, thinking? if you're gonna have Zac, Zac Efron in your movie, I mean. What, what what the fuck are you gonna hire him for? I want to. <laughs> he's a beautiful man. Beautiful man. Anyway, <laughs> you just sounded like a creepy Southern senator. That's <laughs> <laughs> my Roy Moore talking about Zac Efron. Hey, beautiful man. I'm not allowed to go back to the mall no more because that beautiful man works I've there. Been following around Zac Efron. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. These are these are all delightful 2017 relevant topics. But that year is over, and it's time for something new. So we're gonna kick off uh, the first episode of this new year with a three-parter episode, like we did in the beginning of the of AOE. We're gonna start clean, start fresh with a brand new topic. And admittedly, we've already recorded one third of this. So before we play that, Dave, why don't you kick off what the subject is and how we came around to coming up with this topic? Yeah, so uh, we wanted to do another uh, three-parter. When I say three-parter, I mean we all take a different 
thing to talk about and uh, cram it all into one episode. Just like three things in one tight episode. That was like sex. That was so unnecessary. <laughs> He's that talking was, about that was, sex. That was gratuitous. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we decided to do something a little different this time and each take a fairy tale. Uh, so I covered Rumpelstiltskin, which you will be hearing in a moment, and then we'll come back and do the other two, but honestly, you can just skip those if you want to. (laughs) And also, if you get to the second two of these and they feel like one cohesive thing and like we don't remember anything that we talked about up front there's a very good reason for that so we figured we'd just let you know because i don't think we're good enough at podcasting yet to fake it (laughs) we're going to um try to do callbacks but we don't remember all the content so we're just going to make up callbacks that we think uh might have happened there Uh, was some technical difficulties no one person's really at fault. Uh, that's all we know for sure. Is one hundred percent to blame for this, <laughs> and that man's name is Barack Obama. No, 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 no. We miss him, and we want him back. That wasn't the issue. While we can b- blame most things on Barry O, number forty-four, this is definitely this definitely doesn't fall on him. This falls on people who bring their computers to subway to get them fixed and leave with sandwiches <laughs> he didn't even leave with the computer the second time i <laughs> left still with the computer. have it he's recording on an italian sub right now <laughs> i mean oh works. boy we're we're just having a silly year already why don't why don't I'm we fresh. get this thing rolling and then uh, we'll we'll talk to you after after we play can we, can, can we do this when we uh, come back in in a moment because like it's gonna be uh like this and then my section and then we're gonna go back into right now can, can we all come back and laughing like something really great just happened uh like, like the last thing i said and i won't check what it is like the last <laughs> thing that was said was just fantastic just and we're all having a, a big sitcom laugh about it hey you got it man I'm yeah man. and we'll right. repeat a line that we guess off the top of our heads as to being the last thing that you just said. Okay. I think this is going to go really well. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, here's Dave talking about Rumpelstiltskin. Story time with Dave. Yay! So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read my top 20 favorite fairy tales. Um, (laughs) In no specific order uh, as far as like my favorite to my least favorite. All right, here we go. All right, but no, I'm talking about Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin! Um, Sorry, I had to do it at least once. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just get it out of the way early. So, yeah, Rumpelstiltskin, if you're not familiar with the story, I'm just going to give a quick overview. More than likely, you've heard it. A miller tells the king that his daughter can spin straw into gold, and the king basically takes the daughter and says that if you can spin this entire room of straw into gold, uh, I'll marry you, and if not, then I'll kill you. And Uh, it's it's in one night, right? Yeah, it's in one night. Uh, I mean, this really takes place over a couple nights. She's uh, heartbroken, obviously, because she cannot do that, because no one can do that. I can. When a small (laughs) Ed can do that and no one else can do that. Um, A small imp shows up named 
as you will learn later, Rumpelstiltskin and agrees to spin the gold for her over the course of three nights uh, with each room a straw getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the final favor he wants is her firstborn child. She does it. Uh, she agrees to it. And Rumpelstiltskin performs. And when he comes back later to collect the child, uh, the miller's daughter uh, begs with him and he offers to give her three days to try to find out his true name. She ultimately finds it out, and that's that's pretty much where, in the, like the children's version, the now exposed Rumpelstiltskin kind of just storms away. Uh, in reality, in the fairy tale, he stomps his foot into the ground, gets it stuck in the ground because he's so angry, and then tears himself in half. Uh, so, a bit right. of a <laughs> fucked up, weird. Darren Aronofsky ending. Yeah, um, and that's in the Grimm's ending, right? So that they were yeah. collecting stories and then publishing it for people's kids. So they were like, "That's." I think that speaks to the time period that they were like, "Yeah, no, that's fine. Kids will kids will love that part." <laughs> yeah, yeah. How the Grimm's were ever for kids, I I, I won't <laughs> know. But <clears throat> all right, so that's the basic story everybody knows. Uh, the actual date of the origin of this story. Oh, Jesus is <laughs> somewhat up, <laughs> is somewhat up for debate. Um, some researchers put it as much as six thousand years old from hmm. the Indo-European steppes. So fucking old is what I'm saying. The other estimates are that it's from around 2000 BC. Uh, so the tale has been around for a very long time. The Grimm's when they were or the Brothers Grimm, I should say, when they were collecting the fairy tales, heard of it from a well-educated woman who might have shifted some things in the story. Where this gets interesting involves us diving back into the fairy episode a little bit. It's genuinely believed that Rumpelstiltskin was a type of fairy. And the reason this has caused a lot of scholarly debate is he has a lot of fairy-like traits. Uh, he's magical. He's able to come and go as he pleases. Where this runs into problems, though, is fairies, if you remember from the last episode, were pretty much able to just take kids at will. They would grab kids all the time. It was called uh, changelings. Fairies did this as kind of a joke um, to themselves that was only funny to them. They would disappear people into the fey realm. I mean, it's funny so, to me. I get it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's funny because a lot of time has gone by. Kind <laughs> of like when I stick marbles in my nose. Yeah. It's exactly like that. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so this created a weird situation because why is Rumpelstiltskin, who uh, can sneak into a prison, essentially, and do all this magic and everything, need permission from this poor Miller's daughter uh, to take her child when clearly he has the ability to just fucking do it himself anytime he wants. So that's where it goes against the grain of traditional fairy lore. Now, I read an article by a PhD who we will post to on the site that put forward some really interesting theories about Rumpelstiltskin. 
there are a couple of different theories about why Rumpelstiltskin needed permission to take the baby as well as what he wanted to do with the baby. The first and foremost is, and you guys are going to dig this, he can more or less move through time. Wow. Uh, almost like a... He's a time lord. As, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> think about it as like a Doctor Who character almost. Right. He can move freely through time. Uh, and the Miller's daughter, the baby that she is going to have, is for some reason designated by fate to have some kind of deeper meaning. So whether this in- involves the son of the Miller's daughter being some kind of great king that Rumpelstiltskin wants to raise on his own, uh, much as Merlin was raised by fairies from the Knights of the Round Table. Um, and then set him back into the world. Or the other really awesome theory was that he was the fallen god of a more or less extinct race of people. Hmm. Uh, And Rumpelstiltskin planned on nabbing this kid, knowing that he may be king, and raising him and basically sending him back into the world as almost like a sleeper cell agent. Sure. Uh, to favor his people or gain revenge for his people. Finally, the one that's going to like really ring true with our audience is that he was a type of devil. Now, the reason this gets kicked around a lot and like there's a lot of debate over it is, like I said, this is potentially 6,000 years old, at least from 2000 BC, which is pre-Judeo-Christianity. That being said, though, there are some interesting arguments that he might be just, like, evil incarnate, just really fucking bad. Now, with the idea that he could pretty much take this kid whenever he wants, and the question of why would he give the Miller's daughter a chance to uh, redeem herself with the name and everything, he basically wanted to lead her into temptation to commit like the ultimate sin of giving up your child to save your own life. And in order to play out the sick game that he was, uh, that he was driving towards, he actually had to get her to agree to give it up. Mm -hmm. Like otherwise, what's the point if he just takes it for himself? Well, yeah. And I think that's very, congruent with our notion of demons and the way that they like it makes me think of um of the screw tape letters by c.s lewis and how screw tape is writing all these letters on like basically teaching i think it's his nephew who's a demon on like how to be a demon and it's all about the subtle art of temptation it's not just about like killing people and stuff it's about like turning people into monsters rather and i think it's interesting too the rumpelstiltskin sounds kind of like a demon name like it's just it's got I feel like whenever you see a lot of demon names throughout Judeo-Christian tradition and throughout, like, different folklore, it's always very, like, silly almost, laughable almost. So I I think there's... I always just assumed he was that kind of figure, but it's interesting to say that he could potentially be, like, a thousands of years old demon because I I never thought of it that way. Yeah, and in reality, his name, the German version of his name... um, I'm, I forget the exact translation, but it was like rattle. Like, it was, was it like, like rattle bone or something? No, it was like rattle stump or something. It was basically it was trying to 
put forth that he was like a trickster mm. that he was the one like rattling table legs and causing mischief and everything mm. um this pain in the ass basically uh where it gets kind of cool is he gave the miller's daughter three days to come up with his name, which, again, according to demon folklore, the knowledge of one's name gives it power, uh, gives someone power over the demon. Um, he gave him three days, which uh, Christian literature would say that three is the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the dog that grants witches. Um, <laughs> it's how long but, Christ took to resurrect from the dead. It's a very, very big number. Yeah. But if you jump to Celtic, uh, pre-Judeo-Christianity, um, it was the Trinity was still very much a thing of uh, re- representing the link between mind, body, and spirit, something that a demon would, of course, want to break. The last thing I'm going to say before I go into an insane conspiracy mm-hmm. <laughs> is that I'm going to jump back to fairies for one second and assume that maybe Rumpelstiltskin was an actual fairy some fairies are supposed to have dual natures um and it's possible that rumperstiltskin wanted the baby however his secondary nature was not allowing him to actually take the baby Hmm. it's also the thing that would have driven him to give the miller's daughter three days right it would be solidified even more in the final act of him tearing himself in half and splitting his two natures once right. he had been bested. So it's like a Gollum Smeagol kind of relationship going on in yeah. his head. Yeah, exactly. So whether or not he's a demon or a fairy, um, I went a little bit insane and read a lot. Are you trying to say something, Ed? No. Okay. <laughs> Whether <laughs> your mouth was I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> whether whether or not uh he was a demon or a fairy, um I believe that this character of Rumpel Stiltskin Jesus. Rumper Scooter. Uh, I don't think you gotta only- be too hard on yourself for not getting that one. That's not that's not an easy one. It's the intentionally only- tongue twisted. Yeah. The only thing I don't know is his name. <laughs> um, then you are fucked, my friend. <laughs> I think he pops up in a lot of grim fairy tales. Uh, he just isn't actually named. So, that being said, <laughs> I'm going to pull up my insane graph that I made. There's three stories in particular that I think that he is in without them actually naming him. The first one is The Devil's Sooty Brother which is basically the devil, quote-unquote, offering a deal to this young man uh, who is a Miller's son. Again, (laughs) we can tie back to the Miller. Yeah. Basically to serve him in hell for seven years with the promise of riches at the end of the road. So now we're getting elements of... And by the way, and it works out for him. He has him do a lot of really weird shit, but it works out for him. Come here and pe- uh, peel the skin off of these adulterers for seven years, <laughs> and then you can have no, some he, money. He, no, it's not even that cool. He like cleans his house, and like <laughs> uh, he gets covered in soot, and that's why it's called the Devil's Sooty Brother. Oh, he's a chimney but, sweep. That's adorable. But he has a lot of the same powers that you see Rumper, Rumpelstiltskin have. <laughs> 
Uh, we're just going to call him Rumpy for the rest of the episode. <laughs> I like Rumpy. Then, so we have this uh, potentially time-traveling evil force that likes to weave itself in to everyday human conflict with a risk-reward uh, scenario. So the next one we're going to jump to is called The Godfather and also involves a poor Miller. Hmm. This Miller can't find anyone to be his godfather because he's so fucking poor because I guess that's a thing. <laughs> and um, he runs into somebody who he asks who's just on the road. He has a prophecy. The guy agrees to be his godfather and teaches him how to heal people because, again, I guess that's something that godfathers do. I was going to say, so <laughs> am I going to be a healer soon? Because my yeah. sister asked me to be my nephew's godfather. <laughs> I didn't realize it came with magical powers. It does. It does. It All comes right. with a vial of water that will allow you to heal people if death is standing above their knees next to their bed but if death is by their feet then they're too far gone okay so i'll let you finish but there that plays into a few different fairy tales i I love that notion of death but keep keep going yeah when this miller makes a good living healing people he eventually tracks down the godfather who gave him the vial and goes into his house which has all kinds of weird shit um a band of severed heads that can talk a bunch <laughs> of severed fingers that can talk um and a the, broom the fingers and a, talk <laughs> yeah yeah the fingers talk and a broom do, do and the a dustpan no no we can, we're not moving past the fingers <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> you're really glossing past this do they have little tiny mouths that they talk out of or is it like a a voice in your head do maybe like they form a like letters like i'm picturing them kind of like the the thumb movies like bat thumb and thumb wars like they just have superimposed goofy faces over them that they talk out of i was i was trying to keep it in the time limit but i'm just going (laughs) to describe what happens when he goes to the house he goes to the first floor of the house and there's a there's a broom and a dustpan fighting with each other (laughs) and he's Asks where he can find the Godfather, and they tell him upstairs. They don't specify how these things talk. And then they go back to their squabble. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly. It's actually mentioned that they go back to fighting. Right. Uh, the next floor that he goes on, there's a bunch of severed <clears throat> fingers. And <laughs> for some reason, he asked the fingers where the Godfather is. And they all pointed. <laughs> <laughs> they spoke and told him that it's one flight up. The next room was a bunch of severed heads that appeared to be completely dead. Again, for some reason, he asked this pile of rotting meat um, where the godfather was. They sent him up one more flight of stairs. And, you know, without going into a crazy amount of detail, the godfather is very strange looking and like something is just wrong in the room. And he's telling the Miller that he's imagined everything. But it's very clear that it's never specified what he is. But he's this mm-hmm. very powerful, dark figure. Right. Uh, like the Godfather. That, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> is able to make people see things and do things. And once again, it's this, it's this character showing up and being not 
precisely good or evil, uh, but having dark intentions. You know what it's um, making me think of, actually, is from Stephen King, um, the character Randall Flagg. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's a magic man who pops up in these different settings, um, always with a different name, but the same MO, uh, same sort of personality, and always, like, causing chaos and working Mm. towards, like, some kind of evil end. Oh, yeah, I definitely always got that vibe, too. He's just kind of in manipulating things uh, in very minor ways, like playing these parts that are significant to the people who are being affected by them, but are ultimate, ultimately he's affecting like peasants and millers. Mm. Um, if you want to get really creepy, it could all be the same Miller's family. But when you factor in that he can potentially travel through time, that's where it gets really... Uh, really Stephen King-ish, mm-hmm. or I guess that's where Stephen King gets really Rumpelstiltskin-ish. <laughs> um, because it's like, with that type of knowledge, everything he's doing has a very clear purpose to it. I was going to talk about the last one, but after the finger thing, <laughs> I don't think I will, because it's called the Poor Miller Boys. Fingers. It's called the, po- the Poor Miller Boys and the Cats which is the exact same scenario as the Devil's Sooty Brothers. Except it's a bunch of severed penises that all sing a cappella <laughs> versions of they, 80s rock songs. And there are no mentions of that. <laughs> Billy Joel songs. No, it is exactly the Devil's uh, Sooty Brother, except... Lots of severed dicks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the exact same thing as the Devil's Sooty Brother, except they're all cats. Okay. The devil's just a bunch of cats. I'll buy that. It's just a bag of cats. (laughs) We're a bunch of cats. (laughs) So the only, you know, I'd recommend maybe don't do what I did and read way too many grim fairy tales. Um, But if you want to do some really cool follow-up reading, uh, Laird Barron, who we've talked about on the podcast, has a book called The Croning which actually heavily features Rumpelstiltskin Mm. in the first and final acts of the book and plays along perfectly with this narrative that he is an awful, evil, time-traveling, manipulative uh, little monster with a greater uh, goal in mind that he has infinite time to achieve. His version of Rumpelstiltskin shows up in um, one of the stories in... His short story collection, The Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All, as well. That's awesome. I, lo- I love the idea that Rumpelstiltskin could be this nefarious other, like, hiding in the shadows of all these different fairy tales. He's like the Thanos of the Grimm universe or something, just sort of popping up yeah. here and there. That's really cool. I'm, I'm thinking the idea of, like, a weird reverse Doctor Who who does these strange things that make sense to nobody but him mm-hmm. that have some kind of like greater domino effect down the line yeah 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 like i wonder if you- rumpelstiltskin if through his actions over the centuries caused like the greatest atrocities like world war ii and the holocaust was all because rumpelstiltskin stole some lady's kid <laughs> give me enough time <laughs> you'll, put the, you'll put the pieces together <laughs> um where yeah, you know, the last thing I'm going to say is I mentioned a bunch of stories where he's not specifically named. Uh, however, what's neat is 
it, the Rumpelstiltskin is has versions in all different languages from all different times. In um, <laughs> this is gonna sound less exciting. In England, it's it's basically a guy named Tom, but he it's the exact Ugh, same. Oh shit! Here comes Tom. <laughs> Say my um, name. Uh, I don't know. Bill, Dick, Tom. Ah, shit. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's Danish versions of him. There's French versions of him. There's versions of him from, uh, <laughs> from way back to the Celts. Uh, so that character specifically has appeared in a bunch of story doing the exact same thing, wanting either a baby or to fuck the Miller's daughter or take her as a wife. But See, I days, told you there was the fucking same. involved in this. <laughs> I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, and one last thing. Uh, he's repeatedly referred to as an imp in the story, and an imp is a spawn of hell that was outlawed during the witchcraft trials because it is a henchman for Satan. So I'm just going to leave you with that. Do a bunch of digging into Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, read Lair Bearing. And uh, Venmo me 10 bucks. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. I'm just, I can't get the picture out of my head of a Miller's daughter spending three days going through like all these ridiculous names. Rumpelstiltskin, Nebuchadnezzar. And then she eventually loses her kid. And then as he's walking out, he just goes, it's Tom. My name is Tom. <laughs> <laughs> that name will get popular later. <laughs> with a stick of butter oh my god (laughs) fucking christ Uh, but anyway ed you were gonna talk about your thing yeah yeah i have i i did my part of this stupid fucking thing um (laughs) so um i feel like rumpelstiltskin is one that's pretty well known uh, I decided to take a different route, and I did a relatively ex- obscure fairy tale. Uh, honestly, I hadn't heard of it until um, my girlfriend brought it to my attention. So my girlfriend is a – she's back in school, f- and she's going as a triple language major. So she's learning about um, German, Russian, and Arabic. Boo, and those are all the bad guys. Yeah, just all all the all the people that <laughs> Americans love. Um, also, just you know, as an aside, <laughs> we are friends with Ed. We know he doesn't have a girlfriend. <laughs> but it's a new year, and we're starting off on a positive note. Well, no I mean, she's not so much my girlfriend delusions. as in this girl who like lives next door to me, and you know, like I watch sometimes. Yeah, he knows right. a lot about her. Is what he's saying. She's. I, I feel like I do need to say, she actually is my girlfriend. I feel like I just have to uh, keep her safe, which is why I watch her so much. Nobody understands think, her like I do. I think you need to start referring to her only as your consensual girlfriend, just so we can make that clear to the audience. Oh, sure. Now. My consensual girlfriend. Um, but part of learning the languages is having to learn the culture so the story that i research is called um the goldfish and it's not like goldfish like you buy at a pet store it's like a fish that is gold um so what i really enjoyed about the story is i feel like it's very indicative of russia and the culture which is just frankly it's bananas 
Um, <laughs> so well, I'm going to tell you the story. Um, I'm going to tell you um, some of the things I like about the story. And then just very briefly, I'm going to just talk about Russia and why Russia really pertains to the shit we cover on this podcast. So the story starts with this old Russian man who's very poor and considering that this is like Russia in the Middle Ages, that is saying something. So and he and his wife live in this cottage by the sea and every day he would go out in his boat and he would fish and he wasn't very good at it. And his wife was just miserable, but the old man was happy. Uh, he was poor, but he enjoyed his life. And one day he is out fishing, and he pulls in his net, and the only fish he has is this small fish that's covered in golden scales, like glittering golden scales. And the fish starts speaking to him. And the fish says that if you let me go, I'll grant any wish that you have. I'll do whatever you want. I can make it happen. And the old man, knowing better than to fuck with talking fish, is like, I am, don't need anything, and he let the fish go. And he comes home uh, empty-handed, and he goes to his cottage, and he finds his wife, and he tells her the story. You know, just like, hey, the funniest thing happened today. <laughs> and his wife just starts berating him immediately, just saying, you're an idiot. You, at the very least, could have wished for a new wash bin right understandably or brought home the talking fish which is something (laughs) i'm assuming no one's ever seen you can't fish for shit and then the one fish you catch can speak and grant wishes and you threw it back Uh, well well, we're gonna we're gonna get to that let me i'm I'm team bitchy wife is all i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) anyway the wife sends the man back to the sea So the man stands at the edge of the water and he calls to the fish. And the fish comes up and it's very interesting because the story says that the fish stands on the water. And the fish appears. It's fish Christ. It's Christ. It's turned out to be Christ. Jesus fish. Spoiler alert. That's why there's Jesus Jesus. fish on the back of Christian's cars because of the, the golden fish Jesus. So the man explains to the fish that he went home and his wife said that they need this new wash bin. So the fish says, don't worry, you just go home. So the man goes home, and there's a brand new sparkling wash bin for him and his wife there. And he is ecstatic, because this is way more than anything that he wanted. And his wife is still unhappy. She's like, if we got a wash bin out of this, you should have asked for a better house. So again, she sends the man down to the ocean. And he calls the fish, and the fish stands on the water. And the man again explains, my wife is unhappy. She asked for a better house. So the fish says, you just go on home. And he goes home, and his house is just this beautiful house with many rooms and all sorts of, I don't know, like Russian tapestries and furry hats and all the stuff they were really into back then. Nesting dolls. Yeah. (laughs) The usual Russian stuff. Lots of borscht. And vodka. (laughs) (laughs) All the borscht you could ever dream of. But the wife, again, is unhappy. And she says to the man, if we could have gotten a house like this, you should have asked the fish to make us, to make me a fancy lady. And I don't just mean like, you know, a fancy lady, but like, you know, a a noble woman. Mm. 
So again, the, the man goes down to the water, the fish comes up, he asks the fish. And as this happens, you know, and there's different versions of the story, like any fairy tale, they're all, for the most part, there isn't just one writer. These are tales that are handed down over time and change with telling and um, different different storytellers will put their different spin on it and details get changed around. But one of the ones that I like that kind of is consistent with the story is every time the man goes to the water and asks for something new, the weather gets darker and stormier. And he goes down and he asks the fish to make his wife a lady and the fish says, go home. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> the way you phrased that made it sound like he was asking the fish to fuck his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Will you, will you make an honest woman out of my wife, Fish? <laughs> all right, I'll marry your wife, sir. It's all good. I'm actually just kind of waiting for the fish to just be like, damn, women be shopping. And then the two of them just have a good laugh about it. <laughs> so, There's no moral at all. <laughs> so the the man returns home, and the woman, it, now it's an even bigger house because it's a house befitting of a noble woman. And there's servants and valets and things like that. And the man comes home to his wife and his wife says, well, you clearly are not a, you know, noble lord and puts him to work. Like he's not even allowed in his own home. He's forced to work in the gardens. And time goes by. The woman still isn't happy. So she sends the man out again. And it just keeps going on that she keeps wanting more and more. So she's a lord. But then she wants to be like a baroness, so she owns land. And that's not enough. So then she wants to be the queen of Russia. And it just keeps going on like that. And then finally, it gets to the point where she calls the man, her husband, who she's basically treating like a slave now, and says, I want you to go to this fish, and I want you to tell him to make me queen of the sea. And this is, that's it's a detail that is changed on different tellings. So some says she wants to be queen of the sea. Some says that she wants control over the sun and the moon. Um, basically, whatever what it boils down to is that she's asking for some kind of godlike powers from the fish. So finally, the man goes back to the fish, and at this point, it's just raging waters and storm and thunder and lightning. And he calls the fish up, and one last time, the... Um, he, asks, he tells the fish what his wife wants, and the fish says, you go home, and this is the last time this happens. <laughs> so the man returns, and suddenly the palace is gone, all the servants of LA's are gone, and it's the old crappy cottage that they had. And the man is happy, and he goes inside, and there's his wife, and all of their fine borscht is gone, <laughs> and her beautiful robes are gone, and she's just an old, poor woman again. And it says that for the rest of their days... The woman was quiet and respectful, and the man was happy. Oh, no. No. <laughs> yeah. So, well, what I took that as, I, I, I probably worded it wrong. I didn't mean, like, you know, when the man went back and the bitch learned her place. She it finally shut the hell up. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. That's not what I'm trying to get at. It's right, right. like that something had happened in that span of when he went to the fish, and the fish changed everything back to the way it was that scared her and now she was just you know wouldn't talk mm -hmm. damn so mm -hmm. was she do, do the stories say that she was herself contented or did she live out no. like her days in fear she lived out her days in fear wow yeah That's so nuts. 
I like this story because it has a very simple message. Much like all the Coen Brother movies, don't go chasing money. Yeah. Because it just yeah. won't work out for you. So I can or see waterfalls, as we know from the classic song. Stick to the song. rivers and the lakes <laughs> that you're used to. <laughs> Are you no, quoting that... TLC? Nobody yeah. says creep, creep, oh, yeah. unless they're quoting TLC. <laughs> I love that. It's like a tick with you. Um, but I, I know what you're, you're kind of getting at, where you said an upfront, like it, it does say something, I think, about Russian culture, mm-hmm. that especially when you consider like it's such a massive like area of actual land and there's so many different peoples that sort of came together to become russians and to know that they became a communist country eventually like mm-hmm. it, that sort of idea of like be happy with what you have <clears throat> seems to be it's definitely a very not american ideal but seems to yeah. be one that you see more in like eastern european cultures oh absolutely yeah. no i do find that super interesting for that reason because the the idea of communism didn't come around until what the industrial revolution right yeah. however that really uh paints a picture that the ideals of communism were potentially there long 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 before the fundamentals of communism well one of the one of the reasons that i think that communism was able to take a foothold in russia was that they have an innate an innate mistrust and fear of people with power and people with money. Mm-hmm. Um, and Russia is a fascinating country. Like even before uh, my girlfriend, you know, was in this class and learning about Russia, I, I thought I always thought it was you know really interesting. But I picked this story because uh, because of a lot of things she's been telling me, and she brought up the idea that Russia as a nation doesn't really have an identity. Mm-hmm. So Russia is like as a nation is unbelievably massive and like i mean we can just think about america and america also is a massive country not on the scale of russia but a very very big country and it's almost like the country is broken off into different separate countries you know you have like we're from the the northwest or i'm sorry the northeast and you know traveling outside that area like if you've ever been in the south very very different place and you know the the um west coast completely different than the east coast it's almost like these smaller states well not states because they're actually our fucking states what's the word help me out here nick yeah um like (laughs) all like tribes almost but exactly so i know that there's there's a there was a book i think it's like the 11 nations of of the united states and it talks about how the different parts of the country are basically function as their own culture completely separate and i think russia is even more so all over the map because really you have people that would that look and descend more from europeans people that look and descend more from asians all sort of pushed into this thing long before the united states was around it seemed like russia was the best sort of like melting pot just by its sheer size of different cultures of people coming from really across most continents it's so freaking huge yeah so the you know people from one side of russia have very little in common with people from the other side so as a nation they don't have much to much in common um and like different things came along that were almost the russian identity you know be before communism there was the russian orthodox church and i mean 
the the Russian Orthodox Church wasn't when when Christianity came to a lot of European countries, they sort of melded in some of the beliefs uh, that the the natives had, or at the very least tolerated them. Uh, the Russian Orthodox Church really didn't do that. Nothing fun has ever had the word Orthodox in it. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty true. No one's ever been to like an Orthodox discotheque and like yeah. <laughs> dropped a bunch of acid. <laughs> yeah, and and then after that, you know, there was there was communism, which is kind of a, almost a direct response to that because unfortunately, religion is often used by people in power to stay in power and to oppress people. Um, and so something interesting that uh, I found out was that Russia operated under like do you guys know what serfs were like in medieval europe yeah yeah russia had serfs up until 1867 oh my god really get the fuck out of here yeah so So, like basically up and up into up straight up to their revolution i guess right right yeah that was to be uh, yeah that wasn't far off from the industrial revolution oh my god yeah so after the point that america had a civil war you know, based around the idea that you're not allowed to own people, this was happening in Russia. And wow, that's right. We're definitely headed towards that with the ways that Amazon is building campuses across the U.S. <laughs> oh no, we'll give you a place to live. You, you'll never have to go. You'll never have to leave the space at all. It's like, all right, Amazon, I see what you up to. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing that Russians kind of had. As an identity, and this is potatoes. Well, yeah, I mean that's how you make vodka. You take away the vodka, they're just the whole nation would just collapse overnight. Um, but the one thing that really connects them, surprisingly enough, is Russian mysticism, mm. which is surprisingly a huge deal because you know in the days of nomadic wandering tribes, their their notions of magic and the spirit world were very strong, and was something that kind of connected people so once the church came in people fought to hold on to that so it i mean we think of russia now we think shirtless vladimir putin and we think of, i sure you know, do <laughs> and we think of like those meanwhile in russia videos on youtube you're right of and, people people flipping trucks full of cows over on the middle of the highway <laughs> yeah and russia is a mess because like they're all the, a lot of people are poor and there's not enough jobs to go around but there's also this vein of mysticism that runs through the country to this day russia has like more so-called psychics than anywhere else on earth um they are crazy superstitious and belief in you know things like fairies and vampires is not as ridiculous as you would think over there Right, especially well, when having yeah. me crazy that I can't think of the name, but didn't Stalin have a mystic that was heavily influential or influential to Aleister Crowley? Um, I'm not sure about that. I know that Stalin had astrologers. Yeah, we. I think I think I know what you mean, though, Dave. We definitely need to look into that. Um, yeah, but there is. But you're right. Like right into the 20th century, there was that, and of course there was Rasputin with um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. with the Czar, and they do seem to have a culture of people who have mystical abilities or claim to being in very high positions of power. Right. It's, it's, it seems to really connect with them. The 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 magical and the spiritual in Russia. It, it makes me think of kind of like Japanese culture in that. 
it's very accepted and almost mundane how mm. it's just a part of their everyday lives. There's something uh, really interesting to me about that goldfish story, and mm-hmm. it's the fact that in, in one way it's your standard be careful what you wish for story. The sample, like, you say one thing, but you turn out that that's not what you really wanted. But what I find fascinating is that it doesn't, the story doesn't tell us what she saw, which is mm-hmm. very rare. Like, I feel like you take any other be careful what you wish for kind of fable, and we find out where the person fucked up. But it's it's interesting, and I don't know if it has something to do with the Russian psyche that we just that you you just have to get that chill in your bones, like oh man, something messed her up, and you don't yeah. know what it is. But that's almost worse. You hit the nail on the head because much like Dennis Reynolds, it's all about the implications. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Are you going it's... to hurt these Russians. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm kind of getting. I mean, I immediately went to cosmic horror. Uh, yeah, because right. clearly, clearly, it's not a fish. You know, it's something yeah. that looks like a fish, but is yeah. not a fish. And is there something there, even around the idea of the burden of being a deity? Like she, be, she, she asked to become a god, and does the knowledge that comes with that, or the responsibility come with that? Is that so much that it would drive a person? insane basically like that's sort of an interesting notion because it seems like something like oh it'd be super dope to be a god but it almost implies it's like well maybe she got what she wanted and it was awful it was like the worst thing you can become i also took it as an allegory of man's ineptitude in the face of nature Mm -hmm. um because the the what like I said at the end of the story she she basically requests magical powers and like dominion over the, some form of nature, but that's that's the last straw and that's when the the fish you know kind of smacks her down, and mm. you know just that that idea of like you know forbidden knowledge almost mm-hmm. right that we yeah. see pop up in a lot of mythology and a lot of folklore. Wow, that's really cool. I love that yeah, one. Really That's awesome. That. Yeah. And also it turns out the fish is Christ. So good for you, Dave. You get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what if she had just wished to be the next golden fish? <laughs> right. And then the golden fish just becomes an old lady married to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's a strange one. I like that I've never heard that one before. Um, yeah, I've never heard that one either. I've never heard, like, a different culture's version of it either. So it is. it does seem like a very Russian kind of tale. That, it's, that I, there. I gotta tell you, when we decided to do this, and I initially thought I wanted to do something a little bit more obscure, and um, Julie was helping me, like, just read some of the old, like, Russian stories, there are a lot of them that just have to do with just drinking. There's like so many Russian folklore, like fairy tales are just, there was a man and he got drunk and then he met the devil and then he got drunk with the devil and then he woke up and then he was a horse. And then the, but de- it was okay. and then the devil called him an Uber and sent him home. Yeah. And they did the same thing the next night. Yeah. Not a, not a lot of, not a lot of frills, right. you know, in the Russian stories. Not, not really... We're no frills in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> They're normally such an extravagant people. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think I'll, I'll bring us home then. We're, we're going to stay in Europe where so many of our fairy tales that we know and love come from. 
Uh, but we're moving over to Germany, and Theo's kraut girlfriend can correct me on my pronunciation here. But we're going to talk about Schneewitchen. Or, <laughs> or the Little Snow White. <laughs> as it was originally called by the Grimm's, Little Snow White, which we know as Snow White. Probably one of, if not the best known fairy tales in one light, but I think there's a lot. It's kind of like an iceberg. There's a whole lot beneath the surface that leads up to where the Grimm's took it that I kind of wanted to go over today. So just to kind of hit on the high level stuff, I'll just give a quick recap of the story because I think there's even some bits in the story that people might not know because they're only used to the Disney one um, or they, you know, they just, it's kind of slipped their mind. So we start out uh, with the birth of a, of a daughter. So Queen uh, pricks her finger on a spinning wheel and apparently that's something that allows you to make a wish. Spinning wheels show up a lot, as they do, as we know, in, in Sleeping Beauty. That becomes kind of a, a common thing, especially in, in German folktales, probably just because it was a common profession, like being a smith or something like that. Pricks her, uh, her finger on a spinning wheel, and she wishes for a daughter as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as, as the ebony window frame. Cause so Michael story, Jackson? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if her skin was white as snow, that's that's a fucked up kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason being, and and color seems to be a big part of this, which is interesting. But the setting is that the queen is sitting by her windowsill with her spinning wheel. When she picks her finger, the bead of blood is so bright red, and it falls from her finger into the snow. So there's like the white snow, the red uh, blood, and then the black. Um, window frame so aesthetically she's moved by it and says i want a daughter that looks like this time i hurt myself making clothes so, yeah that's that's a great way to make a kid that's all fucked up in the head so the uh the queen make me a kid based on what just happened <laughs> so the queen um conceives a child with the king and like so many or probably most women did at the time of this story's first telling she died in childbirth and there's a whole lot of angst that comes into a lot of fairy tales when it comes to childbirth because so many people did die. And this one's no exception. So already there's something tainted about this child, right? Because uh, the, the mother died while giving birth. So the second wife of the king, and in some early versions, it's actually Snow White's birth mother. But in the Grimm's, it's the stepmother. So another common theme we see in fairy tales. Uh, she's a super babe and she's constantly asking her looking glass, which we would call a mirror, who the hottest chick is, who's the fairest of them all. And the, the mirror, the looking glass is always telling her that it's her. Well, eventually when Snow White turns seven, cause apparently that's the age of becoming hot when it's, <laughs> when it's a lot, several centuries oh, ago. <laughs> That's when Snow White's beauty overtakes that of her stepmother. So when she asks her looking glass, she says, like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, you're a babe still, but nobody's as fair as, as uh, Snow White. So the queen doesn't like this. She hires a huntsman to kidnap Snow White, bring her out into the woods, and murder her. Um, the thing that gets left out a lot in this story is that she specifically says, bring me back her liver and her lungs so that I can eat them, and then will regain, and then I will gain some of the health that makes her so young and beautiful. Huh. See, no, I now get that I logic. 
<laughs> I had heard versions of it where he was supposed to bring back the heart, but as proof. The cannibalism right. is new to me. And that's yeah. the that's the kind of funny thing is it it became heart because I think even though it's still grotesque, it's kind of easier to swallow from a fairy tale thing because it's like, well, the heart that's like your soul. But that was so not it at the time. Even in the Grimm's version, it is the it's the lungs and the liver because those are both at the time and and we know biologically sort of uh, speak to your vitality. If you have healthy lungs and liver, you're probably very strong and healthy. So that was what she had asked for, and she was going to eat them. That's the plan. So the huntsman uh, goes, takes, takes Snow White, flees to the woods, and then is like, you know what? You're just way too pretty, and that's your superpower, and it's overtaken me, so I'm going to let you go. Huntsman lets her go, and then he goes and he kills a bear, and he brings back the liver and the lungs of a bear, which is significantly bigger than a seven-year-old girl, gives it to the queen, and she buys it. She eats them both and says, okay, that's done with. We're, we're all good. So that's sort of, I couldn't kill this seven year old cause she was too hot. <laughs> <laughs> at least it, there was, he didn't in their story. At least he didn't get like freaky with her, which is good. I guess we can give him <clears throat> bare minimum credit for that. Good for you. Huntsman <laughs> for being so attracted to the seven year old. And that's why that Huntsman is our Man of the Week. <laughs> we like to give out a Man of a Week award here on AOE because we don't think men's achievements have I'm been sexually attracted to enough. a child, but I'm not going to have sex with her because that would be wrong. <laughs> Man, people back then were fucked up. So anyway, there's nothing that says that he found but he found her attractive. Whatever. She was pretty, and he was like, I can't kill something pretty. Anyway, that's the first act. So then we move into some of the stuff we're more used to. Snow comes to an empty and tidy cottage in the woods, and she thinks, oh, isn't this lovely? I'm so innocent and naive. I'm just going to walk in here, and I'm going to take a nap. So she sleeps in one of seven beds. She's found by some little people, dwarves, as they'd call them at the time, but that's not PC. And they let her sleep because they also look at her and go, you know what? We should kill her because she broke in her house, but we're not going to. She's so pretty. She's got skin that's white. Lips that are red, hair that's black. Let her take a nap. We can't kill this little white girl. <laughs> so after that, when she finally... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining. I'm, I'm not even going to say it. Anyway. yeah. Something so, implies that the dwarves are black, but the fact that the, the, her skin keeps being commented on. <laughs> it would imply that everybody else isn't, I guess. I don't know. Right. She's clearly whiter than everyone else in Germany, which is pretty freaking white. That's where they make white people. Right. <laughs> They're like, back in the day, they were really into being white. <laughs> so the um, so the, the dwarves, when she wakes, they're like, you know what? You can stay with us, but you have to do something. You have to clean up around here. You got to earn your keep. So that kind of helps us sympathize with her because now she's being useful, right? She's not just pretty. She's cleaning their house because that's like a heroic act for a woman at the time. <laughs> um. The queen, who is still super narcissistic, is looking into her looking glass and, and asking about who the fairest is. And she says, oh, well, it's Snow White. And this is the first time she's heard this since she thought she died. And she's furious. And the, it informs her that she's still alive over seven mountains in a dwarf's cottage. So from this point, the, the queen makes three attempts on Snow White's, Snow White's life. She comes to her as a hag, which you see in the in the Disney version, but it's a little specific with three different attempts. So the first one, she brings her some nice lace and she says, Oh dearie, let me tie you up in some lace. So she ties her in a corset 
so tightly that it that she thinks it kills Snow White, which I think could be a comment on the lives that women have, that she was tied into a corset to death. Yeah. So Snow White goes into a death-like sleep, but as far as she knows, she's dead, and she goes back home. She's like, okay, cool, everything's good. The mirror informs her that she's not actually dead. You need to try again. Comes back the second time with a poison comb and asks her, oh, let me put this pretty comb in your hair. It'll make your hair look so nice. Snow White is naive. She's a child. She lets her do it. The poison comb seeks into her head. She dies, we think, again. Um, When the dwarves come home, each of those times, basically, the dwarves come home. They take the corset off of her or they take the comb out of her hair. And she's like, oh, I'm alive. I'm fine. So that's like the trick that you have to do. On the and third, like stop accepting <laughs> gifts from people you don't know. Well, yeah, so this they, kid's dumb as hell. So they do tell her that the third time, and it's sort of in there that it's like, oh, you really want to do whatever. But the third time, she says, well, she's not going to open the door unless I give her something she really can't resist. So this is one we know. She brings her a poison apple. On one side, it's red. On the other side, it's white. The red side is poison. The white side is not which is ironic because if you had a red and white apple now, you would definitely think that the white side is gross and that you shouldn't eat that, but that's, not, that's neither here nor there. You wouldn't eat any of that apple. <laughs> Snow White, thinking she's smarter this time, says, look, I'm not going to have any until you try some. I've been, there's been this crazy bitch coming around, and I, don't, I think you might be her again. And she's like, no, I'll try the apple first. She bites the, the, <laughs> she bites the white side. Gives uh, Snow White the red side. Snow White bites it, drops down. Hey, here I have this apple that I bit. (laughs) Strange child. So this is where things get a little sort of uh, dark, old school, like had to be cleaned up and Disney-fied. So the dwarves put her in a glass coffin because, again, she's too pretty to just put in the ground. We want to look at at her dead body for as long as we possibly can. I get it. So they put her in a, in a glass coffin for all of nature to mourn her. So there's an owl and a raven and a dove, and they each come by, and they pay their respects, and they, they weep for Snow White. But her body is not decaying, and it seems like this miracle. So all the woodland creatures and dwarves are, you know, they, she's almost like this symbol of, like, deity out in the woods in her, her death-like sleep. So a creepy-ass prince uh, on his travels by the dwarves comes by, sees a, a teenage now girl, let's say she's like 14, a young teenage girl's dead body in a coffin, and he's like, damn, I love this I'm girl. I'm gonna get <laughs> me some of that. <laughs> so he goes to speak to the dwarves, and he begs them. He says, look, I am in love with your dead person. Can I have her? And the dwarves are like, Nah, it's fine. But he does this uh, for a while until they're like, you know what? We feel bad for you because you're a prince, so you're like super pretty too. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, You can have her. And literally just you can have her. Like, I don't even think they got anything out of it. Just say she's yours. Well, I mean, like, what are they going to do with it? It's a (laughs) dead body. So... (laughs) Normal people don't want to do shit with dead bodies. (laughs) I hate this fairy tale. So the prince is ser- has his servants because even though he's he's super he's got a hard on for this corpse he's not gonna like move her himself. His servants start to carry the glass coffin and they're stupid Fucking rich people. So they drop it and she bounces out of the coffin comedically 
and it loosens up the piece of apple that's caught in her throat, which she then spits out, and she immediately jumps up, and she's arrived, or revived. She's, oh, I'm okay. Everything's fine. At this moment, the prince is like, I love you. Let's get married. So they do, of course. So she marries the creepy necrophiliac, and everybody's happily ever after. And then the part that is never in updated versions of this is that they send the old queen an invitation and she gets it and she's furious and she doesn't want to go, but she thinks I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to be enraged. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to capture Snow White, whatever. So they go and before all of their servants, the prince and his new princess, Snow White, uh, they're there, they're dancing at their wedding. And when she come, when the old queen comes in, she's immediately captured and fitted with red hot iron shoes. Oof. So they had, it was a trap. They invited her. They had the red hot shoes ready. They put them on her feet and they forced her to dance to death in burning shoes. And I think that's a pretty important thing to point out that she's not going to die from her feet being burned. She's going to die from the exhaustion of having to dance so long that she's going to die while everyone in the country is basically laughing at her. And look, she's a bad bitch, but that's a pretty sadistic nation of people that this is like, this is the happy ending of the story, really. And this, in fact, was the Grimm's version, which was written and published originally for families. That was even in the title. It was like household and like children's tales. So that's... I always... Sorry. uh, I always had uh and if i wind up looking like an idiot don't worry because i'll take mm-hmm. it out but <laughs> i always had something of a problem w- with this fairy tale because the whole like shtick uh is the the queen the the stepmother whatever uh you want her to be uh her ultimate downfall is vanity and jealousy where like snow snow white uh clearly lacks some intelligence there and like her main superpower is being very pretty it's it it's it like it it creates the same moral dilemma as when there's a famous plus size model that suddenly loses a lot of weight right like, it's <sighs> so here's the thing i'm glad i'm no i'm glad you brought that up because that's a a bigger deeper part of what of the tradition that i wanted to talk about here so there are some early predecessors of this um the Grimm's published their version of, of Snow White in 1812. If we go back to 1643, 16 to six, or 1634 to 1636, uh, there's a, a, an Italian poet named G.M. Battista Basile, and he's sort of credited as being the Grimm or being the predecessor of the Grimm's. Like he was the first guy to make a national collection of fairy tales because the Grimm's were like, we need to preserve all of the rich history of Germany. This guy, Basile, a couple of centuries earlier, did the same thing for Italy. And he sort of created what became the sleeping girl trope, for lack of a better term, in, uh, in mythology. So he had a story called The Young Slave, where a seven-year-old girl, there it is again, <laughs> named, named uh, Lisa, which is my wife's name, is cursed by a fairy with a poison comb dies and is placed in seven crystal coffins seven so not chopped up 
but like inside of each other, like rushing nesting doll style. Oh, I, oh, I had to yeah, check yeah. on that because the right. first time I saw it, I was like, that's fucked up. <laughs> um, she's found by a jealous aunt. So that's sort of the lead of this like stepmother uh, thing who pulls the comb from her hair, which revives her. And the girl's then forced to be the aunt's slave until rescued by her uncle and married off, which is like the happy ending. So that kind of started this position of like the, the, the character of a girl who sleeps through most of her formative years, wakes up being ready to be a woman, and then is just married off to a guy, which I think speaks a lot to sort of like European ideals for women. Like shut up for a while. Eventually you can be somebody's wife and that's cool. But there are some other interesting like predecessors of this. Around 1750, this one I thought was pretty interesting because it's we're leaving Europe, is from uh, Malaysia. A Malay-Indonesian writer named uh, C.R. Bidasari uh, wrote a story where a merchant girl is hated so much by a jealous queen and she's enchanted into a death-like sleep. And this happens when... Um, oh, so the queen steals... Seals Bidasari's, which is the character's name, not the writer's name, Magic Goldfish, so not the goldfish from Theo's story, takes the goldfish, and then this is likely the origin of, like, who is the fairest, because that was kind of the earliest example of a queen being, like, who's more beautiful than I, is actually in that story, and it's Malaysian from, like, a century before, so it's interesting to know that this sort of Eastern story made its way into one of the biggest European fairy tales. Um... The queen's guards take pity because she's super pretty in her in her sleep and they revive her by returning her goldfish. So there's a few different um, things about this that I think are really interesting. But one of the one of the most important ones, it just to kind of cut to the, the meat of this, is that it's possible that snow white even though she was handed down and created through mythology through some people adding a little pepper of this a little salt of that it's possible that snow white was based on one of two real life figures oh so the first one is margaret von waldeck and she was born in 1533 in a mining town in northwestern germany in roughly the same area that the Grimm's, it's this huge stretch of forest, really, that runs throughout a lot of Germany, which is where a lot of the German folktales come from, this one sort of area. Um, they even, there's a name for it, and I'll have to find it in my notes, but... What, what year was that, Nick? I'm sorry. That was in 1533. <clears throat> okay. So, this is in a mining town, and often children worked in the mines because it was such the small such, such small spaces and not only would children work in the mines but it's believed by a lot of uh anthropologists that it was very common for these children to become stunted in their growth because they're working underground in small spaces with very little oxygen lots of soot and things getting into their lungs and it would stunt their growth because they started at such a young age this just is like chimney sweeps just just oh my god you did it just i did it just like naked chimney sweeps which we knew we'd work into this somehow (laughs) oh thank god but this is potentially the inspiration for the dwarves as this this stunted growth idea so that's one piece for margaret's story she comes from this mining town margaret also had a real life stepmother after her mother's death there was no evidence of animosity that the stepmother had had for her but she had one um you had this is important this uh this girl margaret von waldeck left her home at a young age to travel 
on on request of her family to go and like marry a young prince and join houses she had to travel over seven mountains to brussels so that seven mountains becomes a big piece of this too because people think that goes into the seven dwarves idea while there she fell in love with the future king of spain philip ii um this was not approved of by a lot of the people in her family and she died of a mysterious illness at 21 and people believe that because of the political implications of her marrying an unapproved of prince that she was actually poisoned by someone within the prince's family and the evidence is that of that is that she had written her own last will and testament which there is evidence of that physically being a thing and people who have analyzed it said that there was shaky handwriting throughout the will, which is a symbol of poisoning. So yeah. we've got a poisoned young girl who traveled over seven mountains to leave her home, comes from a town of mining little people, basically. So that's one. I don't think it's the strongest. It could be more people drawing connections in hindsight. But I think this other one actually has a little more weight to it. And I'll explain why. So... Maria Sophia von Erthel, because people had a shitload of names back then, she was born in 1729. So this is closer to when the Grimm's are writing, someone that they probably would have heard more about as like a political figure, the same way that we like hear about Reagan from, you know, his political time was a little before us, but we know of him. So people would, the Grimm's would have known of this family, uh, the, the, the von Erthels. She was the daughter of a prince. Her mother died and her father remarried, so she's a stepmother. Um, and this woman favored her own children. So this is a stepmother that has, historically, animosity against Maria Sophia. The town that she was living in, in Lore, uh, was famous for a glasswork company that specifically specialized in mirrors. And they were made so well that people, the saying was that they always spoke the truth because glass was so clear that it, was, it gave you your truest reflection of yourself. And so they were actually called at the time talking mirrors. That was the real name for them. Damn. Hmm. Um, there was a mirror that belonged to their stepmother, which is actually still on view, like the physical mirror that belonged to her stepmother, Claudia, is at the castle in Lore, uh, which is now the Spessart Museum, which is for the whole Spessart Forest, which was like the wooded area in which they lived. The Spessart forest also has seven mountains within it that were all mined for resources so there's like dwarf connection again as well she also died of a mysterious illness at at 21 another young girl there's uh yeah po possible evidence of of poisoning um as well with her so there's like there's a lot of things with them that's the same and i think the big one here that they must have taken to a degree was this talking mirrors thing that seems like a, a real like smoking gun there. But I think it's interesting because clearly what the Grimm's are doing is they're reaching back through history and they're picking up these stories in bars and taverns from people that talk about um, that talk about, let's see, the Malay story of the of the goldfish that puts the girl to sleep, the young slave Italian story, and then real life political things like these two actual <clears throat> German figures. And putting it all together and, and turning it into this story that we all know really, really well. And a big part of that, too, is that they took this idea of, like, a truth-telling device. So, like, for them, it's a mirror. But in a lot of other places, like in Greece, there's the sun. In Armenia, it's the moon. Um, India has a story about a parrot who can't lie. Ireland has a story, <laughs> of, <laughs> Ireland has a story about a talking trout. 
So there's always some, it almost kind of goes back to, to Theo's Russian goldfish, where there's like this sagely animal that only speaks the truth, despite whether or not it's something that you want to hear. Um, and, and I also just thought it was funny that there's different versions of this throughout and I'll, I'll skip some of them cause they're not as big of a deal. But one that I wanted to touch on, which I thought was kind of interesting is the Irish version of Snow White. And the Irish version is called the gold tree and the girl's name is gold tree. So much like Snow White, it's like your name's Snow White, her name's gold tree. So gold tree is, per, is pursued by her mother, uh, silver tree, who's her actual mother. Um, who requests her heart and liver from the king. So basically, she's like, everyone loves Gold Tree. Everyone thinks she's the best, but I'm your wife, and do as I say, bring me her heart and her liver. Um, Gold Tree instead is let go. Same sort of thing. The king can't bear to kill his daughter. So she leaves, and she actually becomes queen of another kingdom. Eventually, her mother, much like Snow White's stepmother, shows up, and stabs Gold Tree in her sleep, and it's this whole like dramatic thing. But what I thought was interesting about the Iris version and a weird twist is that she's actually saved Gold Tree instead of by men, which is like the constant: the dwarves save her, the huntsman saves her. Gold Tree in the Iris version is actually not only saved by another woman, but her husband's second wife. She's oh, wow. she's put into a coffin. Because they wow. think she's, they think she, well, wow. They, wow. they think she's wow. dead. And, oh, wow. And, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And wow. the second wife, like, mourns for Gold Tree and was like, oh, I totally loved your first wife. She was super cool. I wish we could have done something. Um, she actually is the one that I think, like, pulls the dagger out of the body, which is like, why did you bury her with a dagger in her? But <laughs> saves her life. Gold Tree comes back to life. And then again, the the second wife helps when when eventually Goldtree's mother comes back to like finish the job. The second wife and Goldtree team up against the mom, and then they like live ever, happily ever left ever after, both being married to the king. She's like, "Yay! Now you have two wives," which is like such a weird. I don't know what that says about the Irish, but it's such an interesting like twist that they um, felt they needed to throw in there. Uh, so quick question could be nothing. Uh, do you think any? inspiration for the stepmother was taken from countess elizabeth bathari maybe she didn't come up in my research but it's possible because you know this everything went down (coughs) with her and by the way if you're not familiar with this uh woman i'm sure we'll talk more about her in another episode but um she was a countess in hungary uh Share the birth and death dates were the 15, 1560 to 1614. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got into a lot of trouble because she ran a school for girls. And she believed that bathing and drinking in young girls' blood would keep her young. She was incredibly vain and wanted nothing more to be young. Uh, as a result, a lot of drained, mutated bodies were found all over uh, the grounds. Wow. And she was walled up and killed. Now, because this happened uh, during this time period, and it seems like this is right before this whole uh, stepmother who really wants this young pretty girl's <clears throat> heart and liver to eat to be pretty, it seems like something like this, which would be widespread news in this right. time, uh, 
would be an inspiration for the wicked stepmother and her quasi-cannibalistic ways right. in pursuit of uh, vain gains. That is a good point. And, you know, Bathory got, she got taken down because, like, the people rose up against her. And I don't remember the specifics, but I know they, she was executed in a, like, particular um, manner. Yeah, she was walled up. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. She was walled up into a room and left wow. to death. And the people were Cask really of were like, style. That's nuts. Yeah. yeah, they were like, stop uh, killing and draining our daughters, you monster. <laughs> <laughs> we saved all year to get her into your school, and then you essentially ate her. Um, it, so, yeah, people were pretty pissed off. It, it is I, interesting to see how often you can start when you, the more we read like myths and also real accounts of historical people, especially in Europe how you start to see why every culture has their own version of, like, a vampire, of a wicked stepmother. Like, all of these things, like, there's sort of that cannibalistic, vampiric nature to her. There's the evil stepmother. And it's, I think all of it speaks to, like, these deep-rooted fears that people had of, like, children being taken away, which would have been a very real threat if you just lived in the woods and they could get lost, of... Uh, of family turning on you because like you don't live in the cities you live in the woods if anybody's going to kill you it's like your stepmother or someone in the house I think there's a lot of like deep rooted phobias that like show up in this and and definitely like you said that story of uh, of her of her as well would would factor into all this pretty strongly yeah I would also add one more thing to my uh, the whole reason that I went from not giving shit uh, shit at all about Snow White for most of my life to being really interested in it and so it's just I kind of have to plug it is that there's a story by Neil Gaiman called Snow Glass Apples um, Snow comma Glass comma Apples and in it he sort of envisions a topsy-turvy view of the Snow White story that's just as well more so brutal and sadistic but flips it around where the queen is sort of the antagonist and no one oh, will. Oh God, I read this. Yeah. It's <laughs> real good. I won't give away a lot of the details cause I think people should read it, but it was the first time I had read a snow white story and be like, Oh, in the snow white story, there is like the bones of a really creepy story where you can put in like overt necrophilia, vampirism, all of this dark shit and actually make snow white easily. One of the scariest characters I've ever read in a short story. You know, Neil Gaiman has such, like, this aura to him, and he seems like such a nice, friendly guy, and, you know, very, like, he's everybody's uncle, and he's a silly British man, and I love him, and he's written some of the most fucked up stuff I've ever read. Yeah, and that's a good way to, it is, it is fucked up. It's a great and beautiful story. He does a lot, too, with the color imagery, like, I think he makes a nod to the to the Grimm's a little bit about talking about the, the red of the blood, the white of the snow and all of that. And the imagery is just gorgeous, but it's set into the, the grossest, creepiest story you've ever heard. That is like semi vampiric, semi murderous. It's got dwarves. It's got rape. It's got all this like really grotesque shit in it in a very small, uh, package really in a, in a short story. God damn. That was great. Yeah, I uh, yeah. I haven't examined Snow White in that way before. Yeah, like or just the bones of it. And, I really enjoyed that. And I think that for any further reading, and this probably goes uh, across for any of these for f- uh, 
folk tales and for fairy tales in general is definitely look at how they all connect. Cause another thing that I won't get into, but I found a lot of my research is so the the part of Germany that I was thinking about the Grimm's that gr- the Grimm's grew up in was called fairy tale road. That's what it's known as because of how many came from that section of Germany. It's 370 miles of forests with like castles and things like peppered throughout. So it's like perfect fairy tale space that is still very preserved as woodland. Um, because the Germans like value the woods so much. But from this one area, we get Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, and so many others. I think Rumpelstiltskin might even be on that list. But yeah. what I would urge people to do is look for the connections because there's a reason why Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and so many other tales involve like a lot of the same details because at one point they probably were the same story. And they just got yeah. moved from town to town and, and kind of plucked apart. So it's, it's really cool to look into all that stuff. Yeah, and you can really see um, how all of these fairy tales, not just the one we talked, uh, the ones we spoke about, but a lot of the fairy tales just, you can draw a d- direct line between a lot of our contemporary literature and horror in particular uh, all the way back to the grim fairy tales like it's it, it's the birth it's the bible to a lot of these horror stories it's the king in yellow to hp lovecraft you know it's uh there there's connections there to be made that are undeniable yeah absolutely there's there's definitely something primal that we can't seem to escape in a lot of these stories and that's why they make for a really good horror podcast even though that yeah even though they're fairy tales a, a lot of a lot of well, all fairy tales there's something you know just in their bones creepy about it i mean even something as pretty innocent as uh, the what's it called uh, goldilocks and the three bears you know, well, why did the bears have a house? Why did the bears talk? You know, there's... God, he's being so fucking bear racist. <laughs> <laughs> Who's giving these bears houses? Who's giving these bears jobs? <laughs> we need to build a wall. Keep out the bears. Uh, I'm well, not no, saying I just... don't like all bears. I'm just saying they're bringing rapists, murderers. <laughs> well, I'm just saying for kids, it can give you these like jumping off points for really, really odd questions. Why do the bears talk? Why do animals and fairy tales talk? Well, maybe things were different back then. Right. You know, um, so there's but like Neil did with Snow White. There's these are stories that are very innocent, but very, very quickly can be made into something horrifying. Right. Like the second you ask the question, why did a prince want the corpse of a pretty girl? Because that's the other thing to remember, too, that I don't I I didn't touch on in my Snow White thing, but this goes across all fairy tales. These weren't originally told for kids. They might have been adapted for kids, but these were stories that people would talk about, like in bars when they're like super drunk. So you can kind of imagine some like gross pervert hunter being like, I found a pretty girl in a glass coffin and then fucked the shit out of her. <laughs> and then turns the, out she the, was dead. And then I the Grims are like, "What are we gonna do with this? We have to clean this up. This is a nightmare." <laughs> I like that he lost steam halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> he realized it didn't have enough of an ending. <laughs> 
But okay, I'm sure we could go on uh, about all of this for hours more, and we probably will. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we are closing in on an hour 45, so we should wrap this the fuck up. Well, just about. There's definitely some splicing that needs to happen. If you made it all the way through, congratulations. Thanks for kicking off a new year with us. We're so excited. Uh, the world didn't end. 2017 wasn't our last year. So as long as we're all still here on Earth, we will keep telling you stories. And we hope you keep checking in with us. Yeah, and I got all my technical shit handled, hopefully. So we probably won't be as late with our next yeah. one. No more trips yeah. to Subway. No it, more Subway for me. <laughs> it will be out two weeks from whenever you are listening to it right now. Right, which could be any time. We'll see. And our next episode is going to be an in-depth discussion of the Netflix series, The Crown. (laughs) It sure is. (laughs) But thanks for listening. Uh, Check us out all over the internet. Go to AOEpod.com. That's our website. You can listen to episodes there. We'd really love if you listen to episodes on iTunes because you can subscribe. We'll show up in your feed every two weeks, like we just mentioned. Please leave us a review. It's great. It helps other people find us. It also helps our self-esteem, which is very, very low right now because we haven't released a podcast in a while. We need to feel better about ourselves. (laughs) And you can also find us on Twitter at AOE underscore podcast. And on Facebook, just look up The Age of Enfrightenment. Be friends with us on all those places and listen. All right. So, well, shit. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Happy New Year. I'm going to treat you better this year. <laughs> Us or listeners? The listeners. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I don't, I don't expect to be treated much better. <laughs> I'm going to treat myself better this year and buy myself a treat. Treat yourself. <laughs> All right. Uh, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>